has been two weeks into the phase two heightened alert. Since then, the COVID-19 situation uh, have gradually come under control. Although we are still seeing about 100 cases a day, the number of uh, serious cases have remained stable. We are also making good progress on our vaccination program. As of uh, yesterday, about two-thirds of our population has received two doses of COVID-19 vaccines ahead of National Day. We are now in a stronger position to resume our, with our reopening journey, but in a cautious and calibrated way. We will do that in stages. We will start with a preparatory stage from 10th August. This will take about a month or so, and when 80% of our population has received full vaccination, and if all goes well, we will begin our transition stage towards a COVID-resilient nation. And this will be done, as I said, in stages two. Today, we will focus on what we plan to do during the preparatory stage over the next few weeks. We will need to take a differentiated approach as there is still a sizable population of our sizable proportion of our population that, that is yet to be fully vaccinated. And we will need to safeguard their health, in particular the elderly. From 10th of August, we will relax the safe management measures for higher risk mask-off activities and large-scale events. Up to five individuals can dine together at the FMB establishments in the group if all of them have either been fully vaccinated or tested negative. For hawker centres and coffee shops, as they are generally open, naturally ventilated spaces, up to two persons can dine together in a group regardless of vaccination status. Being a small and open economy, our international connectivity is vital. As vaccination rates in Singapore and in other countries increase, we will progressively review some of our border measures. From 20th August, more travellers from selected countries will be allowed to serve their stay-home notices at their place of residence, subject to certain criteria. From 10th August, we will also approve more entry applications for work pass holders, as long as they are fully vaccinated. They will also be required to keep to the existing travel requirements. Even though vaccination may not prevent infection, our studies have shown that vaccination reduces the risk of severe disease. This will prevent our healthcare facilities from being overwhelmed and vaccination will also allow us to confidently continue with our daily activities and minimize disruption to our work. Moving forward, we will require vaccination or regular testing for all workers in selected sectors, such as those that require interaction with the vulnerable or with customers in high-risk settings, particularly those with mask-off environment. This is to protect them and their colleagues given the environment they are working in. The public service will lead by example in this. For those who have not been vaccinated, I would encourage you to do so as soon as possible. We have seen a strong take-up rate from our seniors in recent weeks. I want to thank them for stepping forward. But if your parents or grandparents have yet to be vaccinated, 
please continue to reach out to them and encourage them to do so. Vaccination is the best way to keep our loved ones safe. Before I end, I would also like to take this opportunity to thank Singaporeans and Singapore businesses. It has been an extremely challenging period for many of you. We are deeply appreciative of your cooperation and your support. Let us continue to press on so that we can move decisively to a COVID-resilient nation. Thank you very much. I now ask uh, Minister Ong Yi Kang to say a few words. Thank you, Kim Yong. Uh, today, Director of Medical Services and I will give three updates. One is on our vaccination exercise and progress. Number two, the pandemic situation in Singapore. And number three, our transition roadmap to a COVID-resilient nation. Let me first start with a report on our vaccination exercise. We have been administering 60,000 to 70,000 doses a day for the past couple of weeks, and up to 90% are second doses, helping more of our population achieve their full vaccination regime. As of end of yesterday, 5th August 2021, over 78% of our population had received at least a first dose, and almost two-thirds have received two doses. So we have pretty much achieved the target we set for National Day. And in fact, based on this trajectory, we are confident that by National Day, we will have more than 70% of us receiving our full vaccination. And this actually makes us one of the most highly vaccinated countries in the world and puts us in a strong position to start our transition process to a COVID-resilient nation. So I'm, I'm really proud of our frontliners, our volunteers, our doctors, our nurses, and all the people of Singapore for making this possible. Our concern has always been the vaccination rate of our seniors, especially those 60 and above, as they are more vulnerable to getting severe diseases uh, as they are infected with COVID-19. We have made good progress in vaccinating this group, and we continue to see about 1,000 seniors coming forward to take their first doses every day. It's come down a bit, slightly below 1,000, but 900 per day is still an encouraging number. Our mobile vaccination teams, there are 10 of them, and they have been deployed to 70 locations across 10 towns. There might be more than 10 of them, uh, but 10 towns, 70 locations, so that they bring vaccinations closer to our seniors. So the teams have vaccinated about 3,340 seniors above 60 years old to date. So what is the progress for vaccinating seniors? Let's compare a month ago and now. For the seniors aged 60 to 69, if we compare those who have received at least one dose, 60 to 69, one month ago, was already quite high at 84%. Today, it has gone even higher at 89%, at least one dose. Coverage for those 70 years above uh, 70 years and above saw a significant jump over that one month, last one month. One month ago, it was 74%. Now, 
it is 82%. So we will continue to make a big push to vaccinate our seniors. By now, the great majority who have not vaccinated, I think, fall into the following two groups. And we are speaking from interactions with them because many of our volunteers have been visiting them and speaking to them and understanding their reasons. And they fall into these two groups. The first group are those who are contraindicated, meaning because of illnesses or allergies, they have been advised not to vaccinate. But now we have new evidence from millions of vaccinations globally and locally, and our expert committee has advised that most people with such conditions can now be vaccinated. So for this group, we have asked our polyclinics and hospitals to try to bring their regular appointments forward so that the doctors can review their conditions carefully and advise them whether they can take the vaccinations. GPs are doing likewise, and private hospitals, I hope, will also do likewise. The second group are those who are immobile and confined at home, unable to go to the vaccination sites. So our home vaccination teams have been working flat out to vaccinate them at home. But the demand is very sizable and growing, and the waiting time is now about eight weeks, which is quite long. So MOH will have to beef up our resources, increase the number of home vaccination teams in order to cut down the time. To do so, we will need more teams. The thing is, each team will need a doctor and a nurse because these seniors may be frail and they are immobile to start with and we must have them close by when we vaccinate them. The public sector has expended all our resources who are working flat out. So I'm calling out to all doctors and registered nurses to volunteer your service and your expertise to help us. The details for volunteering, uh, I posted them on both my Facebook and Instagram. So please refer to them and we seek your help at this juncture. 70% vaccination coverage is already very high by global standards but every additional individual vaccinated would strengthen our collective resilience and may mean saving another life. We must therefore strive to have as high a coverage as possible because that means that will translate into fewer people in ICUs and even fewer deaths as we open up our economy and society. So we'll continue to have to work very hard, try to raise the population vaccination rate from two-thirds now to 70% by National Day, then 80% and then beyond. And for the seniors to push it up from 80, so for seniors above 70, push it up from 82% that I reported just now to 85% and beyond. There have been questions about vaccine recognition. So far, only the two highly effective mRNA vaccines, Moderna and Pfizer-BioNTech Comirnaty, are used in our national vaccination program, counted towards our national statistics, and eligible for concessions on testing and safe management measures so far. There are good reasons for us to do so, because the efficacies of different vaccines vary. So at the initial stage 
or initial stages of our vaccination exercise, when most of our population are not vaccinated, it is important to get ourselves inoculated with the most effective vaccines. But as our vaccination coverage increased to now 70%, we are collectively more resilient. The consideration will change. What is important now is the difference between those who are vaccinated and not vaccinated, and less so between different vaccines. Hence, from 10th August 2021, we will take a more inclusive approach in recognizing vaccines beyond the two mRNA vaccines. We will extend safe management and in-time travel concessions to individuals who have received these recognized vaccines. And individuals who have received these vaccines will also be included in our national vaccination statistics. So MOH will recognize all COVID-19 vaccines in the World Health Organization's Emergency Use Listing, the WHO-EUL. WHO is a widely accepted reference organization. It sets a 50% vaccine effectiveness threshold for listing in the EUL, so there is some assurance of a minimum and verified standard. Hence, with this, the vaccines which will be recognized from 10th August 2021 in alphabetical order are AstraZeneca, Covishield, Janssen, Moderna, Pfizer-BioNTech, Cominati, Sinopharm, and Sinovac, Coronavac. Now let me talk about the epidemic situation in Singapore. When the new clusters broke out about mid-July, our vaccination rate for two doses was only at about 40%, slightly over. So we stepped out of efforts to trace, test, isolate, and we had to revert to phase two HA, heightened alert, to prevent further transmission of the virus. But as a result, we prevented a possible uncontrollable rise in infections, severe illnesses, and deaths. I was at the MTF conference and I spoke about my worry of having 50 ICU cases within a week and then doubling every week after that, and we managed to avert that scary scenario. Today, our daily infections are stable. More infected individuals are isolated before detection or they are infected at home. So all these are positive signs. However, we are starting to see a few fully vaccinated individuals who, became, who become severely ill. And unfortunately, this is inevitable as the great majority of our population is now vaccinated. And amongst them, more people will get infected and some of them may have pre-existing illnesses and conditions that make them more susceptible to severe illnesses. So this becomes inevitable as our vaccination rate goes up. Um, but let me now pass the floor to DMS to further elaborate on the medical conditions of those infected and the preparedness of our healthcare system. DMS, please. Thank you very much, Minister. Uh, as of yesterday, the 5th of August 2021, uh, we had 577 COVID-19 cases admitted to our hospitals with an acute infection. 569 of these patients were cared for in our general isolation ward facilities, but eight were critically ill in the ICU. 
The eight cases ranged in age from 38 years all the way through to 90 years, and only two of the eight had been fully vaccinated. The remaining six had all been unvaccinated or had not derived adequate immune protection as a result of only receiving one vaccine dose. Each case had multiple medical conditions which made them further vulnerable to developing a severe infection. And these included conditions like diabetes, hypertension, kidney disease, heart disease, and sepsis that was secondary to a bacterial infection. The oldest patient was a 90-year-old uh, individual who had been a household contact of other COVID-infected cases. And this underscores how easy it is for transmission to occur between family members in a household setting when they have frequent, close physical contact with each other. We should therefore not be complacent and assume that our seniors at home are protected from the serious consequences of COVID-19 infection just because they stay at home most of the day. And they remain vulnerable as long as there's an opportunity for healthy members, wrong, for family members to mix with others and then to get infected, bringing that infection home and then transmitting it to them. 40 other patients occupy isolation beds in the general wards of our hospitals and require oxygen supplementation. And of these 40 patients, 35 of them are also unvaccinated and had not derived that adequate immune protection uh, because they were only partially vaccinated. Only five of these 40 were fully vaccinated. These individuals range uh, in age between 49 years and 75 years. And again, like those in the ICU, have multiple medical conditions, which make them more vulnerable to having a severe infection. We have children who are also admitted in the hospitals with COVID-19 infection. And both the National University Hospital and the KK Women and Children's Hospital have been caring for them. At present, we have 89 children below the age of 12 who have been infected and are being cared for in the hospitals. An additional 35 children are cared for in our community care facilities. NUH and KK have studied their experience in looking after pediatric COVID cases, and they've done so since March 2020, last year. NUH looked at their first 117 cases. KK had 142 cases over a very similar period, and that uh, came to 259 pediatric cases that were studied. These ranged from two months of age all the way through to 18 years. NUH found that one in five of children had associated medical conditions. And many of them uh, had exposure to infected cases in the same household. About nearly half of these cases were symptomatic, but the symptoms were generally very mild, mild respiratory symptoms and fever. None of the children had breathlessness, nor did they require oxygen supplementation, and none of the children required ICU care. None of the children at follow-up have been found to have persistent COVID-19-related symptoms after recovery, and this was the, the equivalent of a long COVID syndrome that has been reported internationally. While our numbers are small and we continue to be mindful uh, that, uh, uh, that in the international experience, there have been children who have 
not done well, who have required uh, ICU care and who have even passed away. We are fortunate that we have not seen this. We have had very good outcomes. But just in, uh, uh, the, uh, in the countries around us, in Malaysia, Indonesia, there have been children who have passed away from COVID-19 infection. 1,434 cases are presently cared for in our isolation facilities in either our community hospitals or in the community care facilities that we run. And we are regularly looking at the evolving evidence on how infectious COVID-19 cases are, particularly for those who are vaccinated, and we will be reviewing when these cases may be safely cared for in our community care facilities without the need to spend prolonged periods isolated in our hospitals. We are studying whether there is an opportunity to identify in particular a group of cases who have the lowest risk of spreading infection into the community and to consider allowing them uh, to isolate at home rather in our hospitals and community care facilities as they recover. Reviewing our processes and management of COVID-19 cases aims to ensure that we have the adequate facilities and healthcare resources to treat those who are more seriously ill, need more intensive help and support, but at the same time ensuring that we can look after more COVID-19 uh, uh, cases in a sustainable manner as we eventually transit to a new endemic phase. We have presently more than 800 isolation and general ward beds which we have operationalised and made available for the care of sick COVID-19 patients. We also have more than 100 ICU beds made available to look after critically ill COVID-19 cases. At this time, there is adequate hospital capacity to look after both adult and pediatric COVID-19 cases. But we are ready to mobilise and make available more isolation ICU beds if needed. We will work closely with our private hospital and public hospital partners to ensure that all healthcare facilities in Singapore are ready to take up the challenge of managing any potential increases in our COVID-19 caseload. In the last two weeks, we have also seen COVID-19 infections detected in healthcare workers as well as patients in our healthcare facilities. And between the 28th of July and the 3rd of August 2021, we have seen 16 patients and staff who are infected uh, in our hospitals and community hospitals. The infections among staff were detected through routine, regular testing of healthcare workers in all our healthcare institutions as well as through tests conducted if the staff became symptomatic and presented themselves early to a clinic. The staff had adopted appropriate PPE, which is personal protective equipment, for the setting in which they are working in. And at this time, uh, there is no evidence that uh, spread has occurred from healthcare workers to their patients. 11 patients have been detect detected to have COVID-19 infections in the wards, despite having an initial negative COVID-19 test when they were first admitted. Some of these patients may have been incubating infection when they first presented, but we cannot exclude the possibility that some of these patients have been exposed to infections either from other patients or from visitors. We have reported two clusters in our hospitals in our previous press releases when two or more cases are detected in the same ward locations in the hospitals. And on each occasion when we detect infected staff and patients, we work with our hospitals to perform contact tracing, epidemiological investigations, 
to determine who may have been exposed and at risk of getting infected. Such close contacts are quarantined in the hospital as long as they require hospital-based care or at home. The wards that they are in are locked down to prevent further transmission so as not to expose other uninfected patients, staff and visitors to that risk of infection. As each case in the ward leads to the ward being locked down for at least a period of two weeks from the time of infection, this does have a significant impact on our bed capacity and the resources that we have dedicated to fighting COVID-19 cases. And this is the reason why we have recently issued a guidance for all hospitals then to discontinue allowing visitors to come in so as to mitigate and manage this risk while we manage the clusters and the existing patients who have been detected to have COVID-19 infection in the hospitals. We hope uh, that uh, this period of time when uh, we uh, are being tighter in our visitor uh, management policies will be a time which allows us also to uh, strengthen our testing uh, structure and framework and allow, uh, when we reinstate uh, visitors, uh, to be able to uh, better manage in a risk-based fashion uh, visitors coming into the hospital to visit their loved ones. This may include the possibility of enhancing further testing for visitors coming in and we may uh, consider the possibility of vaccination differentiated strategies in this regard. Uh, once we finalise these arrangements, we will make uh, these details known to the public uh, when we are ready. I'll hand the time back now to Minister uh, for uh, further details concerning our strategies. Thank you, Kenneth. Now let me talk about our transition roadmap towards a COVID-resilient nation. Compared to when we have to impose phase two heightened alert, we had about 40% vaccination coverage at that time. We are now in a totally different position with almost 70% of our population completing our vaccination regimens. Hence, after this National Day long weekend, on 10th August 2021, we will enter a new phase called the preparatory stage. Preparatory stage. This is when we will make important adjustments to healthcare protocols, rules on social activities and travel to prepare ourselves for a transition to a COVID-resident nation. We will be announcing the first set of adjustments today. So by 19th August, which is the original end date of phase two heightened alert, we will make a further adjustments if the pandemic situation remains stable. The preparatory stage should last for about a month or so until say early September. By then, we expect 80% of our population to have received their full vaccination regimens. And if by then we can continue to keep the number of severe cases, illnesses under control, and our healthcare capacity is not overly stretched, we will be able to move to the next phase called transition stage A. This is when we will further open up our economy, social activities and travel. Then our lives will be more normal, livelihoods will be better protected. But when we do that, 
we must expect infection numbers to rise. The number of infected individuals with severe illnesses that require ICU or oxygen supplementation will also likely increase, especially if they remain unvaccinated. And we must also be psychologically prepared that death toll due to COVID-19 will also likely go up. But we can do our best to minimize the incidence of severe illnesses and deaths. And it is therefore very important that we continue to vaccinate as many people as possible. And in addition, for those who are unvaccinated, we will have to try to protect them through differentiated safe management rules. And even vaccinated individuals can still carry the virus and transmit to others. Therefore, it is best that unvaccinated individuals minimize their potential exposure to the virus at big events and at higher risk settings, such as restaurants, gyms, and fitness studios. We must also maintain a strong system of surveillance testing of travelers, those on quarantine, or those with acute symptoms, and all those will likely continue. We will also expand wastewater testing for early detection of clusters forming in dormitories or in parts of our housing estates. We should also get used to rostered routine testing so that people who test positive can self-isolate or be isolated to slow down the transmission of the virus. And if the pandemic situation with all these measures remains stable at transition stage A, we can then consider opening up further to transition stage B and eventually to a new normal as a COVID-19 resilient nation. So altogether, four stages, preparatory, transition stage A, stage B, COVID resilient nation. The transition roadmap will therefore be a very careful balance between lives and livelihoods. Ours will be a step-by-step -step approach feeling our way forward, making judgment calls along the way, instead of one big bang where all restrictions are lifted all at once. And in this process, we will continue to push for vaccinations, implement differentiated rules on social activities to protect the unvaccinated, deploy testing as part of the solution. And we will also continue to put in place safe management measures to protect the general population. Mask wearing in particular is something very effective and simple, which every one of us can do. And so it will likely remain, especially indoors, for quite some time. So what are the changes for preparatory stage from next week, 10 August 2021? The first is the first are social activities. Minister Lawrence Wong will talk about the changes as well as measures to further increase our vaccination coverage. Second, schools. It is an immense achievement that we kept schools open throughout the last 20 months of the pandemic. And this is very important to the holistic development, emotional and mental well-being of our young. But given that children below 12 cannot yet be vaccinated, our primary schools need to take the necessary precautions 
and put in place the surveillance systems so that we can continue to keep schools open and learning uninterrupted. And this is an important topic, and MOE will make a separate presentation next week. Third area is travel. With most travellers having to serve 14 days in a hotel upon arrival, most people will choose not to travel to Singapore. As a small and open economy, such prolonged border restrictions will hurt our economy badly. Our companies cannot grow if businessmen and managers cannot travel overseas to meet clients and partners. MNCs will find it hard to invest here if their people are not able to travel in and out of Singapore. And if this continues, our ability to create jobs, earn a living, will be seriously affected. And so we have to find ways to start opening our borders. So Singapore has allowed SHN free travel for selected safe places like China, Brunei, New Zealand. And we hope not too long from now, they will reciprocate the opening and then we will have travel corridors open. But the reverse is also true because on the other hand, some countries such as the United States, countries, many countries in the EU, they allow Singapore-based travellers to go into their countries without quarantine or SHN. So if we reciprocate the arrangement, we will also open up travel corridors. So the good news is that some of these countries have now achieved a high level of vaccination and have reduced their infection rates very significantly. And we will therefore plan to open up vaccinated travel lanes with selected countries where fully vaccinated individuals can travel to and fro Singapore and a selected partner country without SHN and replace the SHN with frequent testing. MOT is working out the details and will announce when ready. Fourth, healthcare protocols. And there are a few changes here. One, we are expanding our community care facilities or CCFs. I've previously explained that as far as possible, we'll admit COVID-19 patients into CCFs instead of hospitals. After all, 97.5% of infected individuals have no symptoms or mild symptoms. So CCF will be a good site for them to recover. So currently about 40% of infected individuals are admitted to CCFs. And with more people vaccinated, fully vaccinated, this proportion will increase. MOH is therefore working on expanding the CCF further. We are in discussion with a few facilities, including Connect at Changi, which has 1,300 rooms and may convert part of them to CCFs. Two is discharge protocols. MOH previously announced that fully vaccinated persons could be discharged from isolation 14 days from the onset of illness instead of 21 days previously. As long as their tests show that they are COVID negative or have very low viral loads. We will now make a further adjustments. This is because of strong evidence showing that individuals vaccinated with the mRNA vaccines present low viral loads even within 10 days from the onset of illness. Hence, we will announce we will allow persons 
fully vaccinated with mRNA vaccines to be discharged after 10 days from isolation if their test shows that they are COVID-19 negative or have very low viral loads. Three is home SHN. Despite the plan for vaccinated travel lanes, which will be quite selective, the great majority of travellers will still need to serve their SHN. We have been allowing travellers from lower-risk countries to serve their SHN at home instead of a hotel. We have also been allowing individuals who have close contacts with an infected person to serve their quarantine at home. And these arrangements are on condition that their home environments are suitable for isolation. Both schemes have been working well, with the situation in many countries improving and their people highly vaccinated, we will expand the home SHN scheme to more countries. So travellers from lower-risk countries such as Germany, Switzerland, Italy, South Korea, Australia, there are a couple more, can apply to serve their SHN at home and then conduct daily self-tests. As more countries get themselves highly vaccinated, the home SHN scheme can possibly expand further. I will now hand the floor over to Minister Lawrence Wong. Thank you. Good afternoon. Uh, we've reached the midterm of our Phase 2 heightened alert and undertaken a review of the measures as we said we would. And so far, as you heard, the clusters are under control. Uh, because of the higher transmissibility of the Delta variants, it's been more difficult for us this time round to bring cases down, as we had before. But what's important is we have been able to prevent a surge in cases, an exponential and uncontrollable surge in cases that could potentially have overwhelmed our healthcare system. That was the scenario that we were very concerned about when we saw the outbreaks in our hawker centres and wet markets all over Singapore. And fortunately, we have been able to avoid such a scenario. Overall, hospitalisation and ICU cases remain low and stable. And importantly, we have used this time as you heard just now, to vaccinate many more people in Singapore, especially our seniors. And that's why, after looking at the overall situation, we believe we are able to now ease some of the restrictions, especially for those who are fully vaccinated. And so from 10th of August onwards, fully vaccinated individuals will be able to gather in larger groups of five persons. They can go out, they can visit one another in a group of five. We will allow for larger event sizes if they are attended by only fully vaccinated persons too. So worship services, cinemas, mice events, live performances, sports events can go up to 500 persons if they are attended by fully vaccinated persons. Wedding receptions can go up to 250 persons fully vaccinated. And we will allow fully vaccinated persons to engage in higher-risk mask-off activities. They can go out to a gym, fitness centre. They can dine in an F&B outlet in a group of five persons, up to five persons, all fully vaccinated. Children below 12 can join in the group of five persons for dining so long as they are from the same household. 
we will extend a special concession for hawker centers and coffee shops because these venues provide convenient and affordable food services for many Singaporeans. They are open-air venues with natural ventilation. So we will allow both vaccinated and unvaccinated persons to dine in hawker centres and coffee shops, regardless of your vaccination status, in other words. But it will be subject to a smaller group size of two persons. And this concession is only for hawker centres and coffee shops. Um, earlier, we had announced a package of support measures for Phase 2 heightened alert that extends throughout uh, the one-month period up to 18th of August. Despite this mid-term easing, we will continue with the support measures as was announced. There will be no change in these support measures. Uh, let me just briefly run through this uh, initial package of uh, changes in Mandarin uh, so that uh, we can, for the benefit of the uh, Mandarin audience. Uh, um, 我们来到了高境界解封第二阶段的中期并对防疫措施进行了检讨目前感染期已经受到控制住院和重症的病患也维持在低水平重要的是我们在这段期间提高了疫苗接种率尤其在年长者方面因此我们可以开始放宽一些
from 19th August. We are easing restrictions for vaccinated persons to engage in more activities across a range of different settings. It is equally important for those who are working in these settings to be vaccinated. So, for example, we say F&B dining, only vaccinated persons can dine. It's equally important for the person who is working in F&B to be vaccinated. So, we will introduce a new vaccinate or test vaccinate or regular test requirement for people who are working in specific settings. They include one, those who are working with vulnerable segments of the population like healthcare, elder care, or settings with children below 12 years old, as well as those working in higher risk mass-off settings like FMB, gyms and fitness centers, as well as our border checkpoints. Under this new requirement, those who are working in these settings will have to be vaccinated, fully vaccinated. If they are not fully vaccinated, they will have to be tested with an antigen rapid test twice a week. This will help to protect them, their colleagues, and the people they serve in the course of their work. Uh, we will allow individuals time to get vaccinated. So this new requirement will take effect from 1st of October which means that individuals in these settings who have not been vaccinated yet can get themselves vaccinated um, between now and end September. The public sector will take the lead and set the example. We will introduce this requirement for all public offices. The vaccination rate is already very high across the public service. More than 94% of our officers are vaccinated and we will continue to encourage those who have not done so to get their jabs. And then for those who are not vaccinated by 1st October, this new testing regime will apply. There are obviously details that have to be worked out. I've set out the broad framework for this new vaccinate or regular test regime, and details will be released by the specific agencies in due course. Finally, as you already heard just now, we are and will continue to adjust some of our border measures. Uh, we are doing two things in August. From 10th of August, we will start resuming entry approvals for fully vaccinated work pass holders and their dependents to enter Singapore. We had throttled down these approvals over the period of heightened alert. But now that we, are, we have reached a higher level of vaccine coverage, we will start to adjust our border measures and we will resume entry approvals for such fully vaccinated work pass holders and their dependents, subject to prevailing SHN requirements. Next, from 20th of August, we are allowing more fully vaccinated travellers from certain countries to opt out of dedicated SHN facilities and serve their 14-day SHN at home or other suitable accommodations. Uh, it's just useful to take a step back. Remember, we have a tiered system of border measures. We classify it based on the risk levels of the country of, of uh, source countries. So if the country is very safe, low risk, we have unilateral opening. For the next level, we require travelers from those countries or those places to serve seven-day SHN or they can do this at their place of residence. And then the next level is 
somewhat higher risk, they come in and they have 14-day SHN in a dedicated facility. Now, from 20th of August, we will identify a group of countries which are, have risk levels which are acceptable to allow travellers from these places to serve the 14-day SHN at home as an option. And the full list of countries will be put out in the press statement. Uh, we have laid out a series of moves which will take place over the month of August. This is what we call, as Minister Ong said just now, the preparatory stage. And beyond that, when 80% of our population are fully vaccinated, we will move to the transition stage and allow further easing of measures. We are taking a controlled, step-by-step -step approach in reopening. Each time we make a move, we will monitor the situation closely, ensure that the number of severe illnesses is under control, that our healthcare capacity is not overly stretched before we take the next move. So we thank everyone in Singapore for your cooperation in this journey. We seek your continued cooperation with us as we work towards becoming a COVID-resilient nation. Thank you. Thank you. I'll now invite uh, questions from the press. Thank you, Ministers and DMS. We will now begin with the Q&A segment. Dear members of the media, please remember to use the raise hand function on Zoom if you would like to ask a question. And a reminder to keep to one question only. If you are called upon, you will be prompted to unmute yourself. Please do so accordingly. May we now have the first question from Selma from SD. Selma, please. Thank you. Uh, I'm Selma Kalik, The Straits Times. Ministers, I was rather concerned with what DMS said earlier that a number of fully vaccinated people have uh, become seriously ill and that all of them actually had comorbidities. So I was wondering whether you would consider giving this group of high-risk people a third booster shot to push up their uh, immune system, their immunity. And similarly for healthcare workers, because many of them had their vaccine six months ago or longer, uh, it's been shown that for some people, the antibody levels fall and they are facing high risk in their jobs. Would you check their neutralizing antibody? And for those uh, where it's fallen below a certain level, would you give them a third booster shot? Thank you very much for the question, Sama. Uh, the expert committee on COVID-19 vaccines is uh, discussing this particular issue on whether or not uh, there's a requirement to uh, give booster vaccinations uh, either for the general public or very specifically for subgroups of the population. And the subgroups of the population are those that you have alluded to, those who are seniors and vulnerable, but also those who might be in the healthcare setting uh, who uh, are uh, at risk of getting exposed to infections uh, on a much more regular basis compared to others in the population. But at this time, uh, no firm decisions have been made. Uh, and as we uh, firm up our policy concerning booster vaccinations, we'll make these announcements in due course. Uh, there is one additional question that you asked concerning the need for serology testing or antibody testing. Uh, there are a variety of different types of tests that are being done, including testing for neutralizing antibodies. Uh, at this time, uh, the um, data uh, doesn't point conclusively towards uh, these uh, serology tests being able to uh, uh, correlate uh, with uh, and uh, accurately with uh, the degree of immune protection that vaccinations provide. 
uh, because the immune protection is accorded by both the production of antibodies as well as the cellular uh, reactions and responses that uh, occur secondary to vaccination. And the antibody test only tests one component of this. So the EC19VR studying this matter as well uh, to determine whether there's a need for any further tests to determine whether an individual is at particular risk uh, of having his immune protection wane after a period of time. But at this time, the evidence doesn't point uh, uh, strongly towards doing this on a, a routine and regular basis. So we await uh, further data and further recommendations coming out from my expert committee before we uh, put in place any plans to introduce booster vaccinations uh, to populations, uh, subpopulations in our, in our community. The emphasis still remains towards getting as high a coverage with the original full uh, regime uh, that we want for our general population and therefore we remain focused on the individuals who as yet have not taken up vaccination, whether seniors or other vulnerable uh, uh, sections of the population. Um, thank you, Selma, for the question. I understand your concern, but maybe just let me try to put the numbers in context. If let's say, let's say 100% of Singapore population has been fully vaccinated, then whoever is in ICU, whoever is severely ill, will be a fully vaccinated person. But that does not mean that vaccination did not work. So I think it's also a matter of proportion. As more and more Singaporeans or more and more of our population are vaccinated, you will find some fully vaccinated people falling severely ill. But at this stage, when we can compare vaxxed and non-vaxxed, the, the evidence continues to show that if you are vaccinated, your chances of falling severely ill is up to 10 times less than one that is not vaccinated. Thank you, Minister and DMS. Can we have the next question from Tzu Peng from Taobao? Tzu Peng, please. Hi, good evening, Ministers and DMS. Uh, over the past week, we had around 10 new clusters every day, and most of them are named after individual case numbers instead of a specific location. And this has caused some anxiety and uncertainty among the general public. So could the Minister share if having 10 new clusters a day is also part of this new normal living with endemic COVID? And under what circumstances will MOH name a cluster after a location, such as the North Bridge Road Market Cluster, which I believe was previously named after a case number? Thank you. With... Always been uh, naming clusters after the, the index case or case number. That actually has been our practice right from the onset. Uh, we had provided some additional information in the past uh, for some of the clusters, in fact, uh, many of the clusters in the past, uh, where it made sense because most of the uh, uh, transmission had taken place within certain locations. Uh, but uh, in, uh, as we uh, evolved in our management of COVID-19 uh, cases, we, we found that actually the link sometimes is more related to activities rather than necessary of, uh, of locations. Uh, and uh, the, the transmission then occurs as a result of that. Uh, the taking into account uh, uh, from Jurong Fisheries port into the markets, uh, we've noticed that uh, uh, this was the case. And therefore, it wasn't uh, helpful necessarily then to name uh, clusters on the basis of uh, fixed locations sometimes uh, because uh, the, the mode of transmission, what was more important was activities that took place. Uh, so we, we will continue to look at this. 
uh, we will continue to be uh, uh, naming and uh, referencing clusters based on the index uh, case that is actually mentioned, but where it makes sense from the epidemiological perspective, it, it helps us with our public health actions, it enha enhances our ability to gain control of a cluster to name specific locations, then we will uh, consider doing so. But the base practice still remains to reference these clusters in relation to the index case. Maybe yep. let me just add a couple of points again to put things in context. Is a, in an earlier stage when we don't have trace together and we use manual um, tracing, and then when we announce the clusters and where, um, where are the places the infected persons have gone to, and then um, people was try to avoid going to those places. Um, but increasingly too, you realize that if the cluster is small, it's sporadic, after the people go to a certain mall or a certain hawker center, it's transient. And chances of you then going and catching the virus actually is quite small, quite small. I think what we worry about is, let's say, in a mall or in a hawker center or market, there are clusters and the virus is still transmitting. And then when you go, then you have a chance of being infected. So what do MOH do now is we may close down the mall or close down the, the market temporarily. Or we, people who have come into contact with uh, infected persons, now that we have TT tokens, we can trace them and tell them, please go for a test and isolate yourself until your test result come out. Or you have really come into contact with a exposed person, we may even quarantine you. So now the technology is quite different. And so for, our, uh, for, for your readers and Singaporeans in general, I think um, rest assured, if you are exposed and our data show that it is so, we will SMS and let you know. And if a place we feel is unsafe because transmission is happening, we will close down the place and we may test the people living around the place. Yeah. So the situation is quite different. But having said that, as I mentioned just now, as we move into the preparatory phase, and if everything goes well, we move to a transition stage A, economy will open up, activities will open up, and we are likely to see higher infections, actually. What's important at that time is to strike the right balance, make sure that hospitals capacity is not overstretched, then we can keep severe illnesses, ICUs and even deaths under control. But chances are they will rise. No? If we want to protect livelihoods and open up the economy and social activities, there is an implication in terms of infections, severe illnesses, even deaths. So we must manage this in a delicate balance. Yeah? But we, we will have to expect cases to increase, more clusters to come up, but focus on where the big clusters are, focus on severe illnesses, focus on ICU cases. Thank you, Minister and DMS. Can we have the next question from Cheryl from CNA? Cheryl, please. Good evening, Ministers and DMS. Um, I would like to clarify about the five-person and two-person rules for dining. There are some F&B outlets that offer alfresco dining, so they are also open air spaces and are well ventilated. Will they be able to accept groups of two people which are unvaccinated as well? 
as I said, we are limiting or we are extending this concession specifically for hawker centres and coffee shops, um, given the role they play in providing convenient, affordable food services for many Singaporeans in our HDB estates, and also because they are open air and naturally ventilated. If there are other restaurants or outlets that feel that they qualify, uh, we will be prepared to consider them, but we will have to take that on a case-by-case basis because our overall posture is still, for those who are unvaccinated, actually our advice to them is minimize your exposure. If you have to go out to buy food from a hawker centre, fine. I mean, you may have to get food somewhere, so we don't stop you from going out to get to a hawker centre. But if we were to proliferate and allow unvaccinated persons to dine in many different outlets, I think the exposure, they will have more exposure outside and uh, there will be greater risk for them catching the virus, which would then um, put their health and their lives at risk. So we are doing this to protect unvaccinated persons and therefore we will be quite careful about extending this concession to other outlets. But we will be prepared to consider if there are um, restaurants or F&B outlets that say that they you know, are in a similar situation and we will consider this on a case-by-case basis. If I may add, I can understand the concern about from businesses, F&B businesses, on the impact of this rule on their business. Uh, on the other hand, again, let me give some context on the numbers. Um, almost 80% of our population have received their first dose. And therefore, we are quite confident sometime in a month from now, 80% will have gotten two doses and can enjoy this five-pack uh, concession to dine in a restaurant. Then 9% of our population is under 12, and they are also allowed to join. So 89% uh, will be able to enjoy this rule. So we are really looking at about 10, 11% that's still unable to. Uh, so there is some impact, but I think I thought I should just point out the proportion. I think uh, the important thing to bear in mind is also that uh, we have to have a practical approach and uh, um, that will facilitate the implementation on the ground. And as we increase our uh, vaccination rate, as we are, if we are able to continue to control the, uh, vac- uh, the infection rate as well as the serious cases, then we will be able to continue on our journey of reopening uh, towards a COVID-resilient nation. And it, along the journey, we will continue to adjust some of these measures to allow greater flexibility, and including uh, dining capacity as well. So this, uh, during this uh, transition period, especially during this uh, preparatory stage, it is important for us to continue to adopt a more cautious approach to ensure that we continue to protect, particularly those that are yet to be vaccinated. Thank you, Ministers. Can we have the next question from Chen Lin from Reuters? Chen Lin, please. Hi, I'm Chen Ling from Reuters. So is Singapore in discussion with US and EU on allowing their vaccinated travellers to visit Singapore without the need for quarantine and replacing it with the COVID-19 test? And um, if you could also share with us roughly these 
uh, when would this be finalized by? Because the travelers will need some a rough timeline to plan their business trips in advance. Thank you. Need to take it on. We we continue to discuss with a whole range of different countries on the possibilities of vaccinated travel lanes. But as was highlighted, we will start with countries where we assess the risk to be similar to ours. Infection situation is under control. And then we will start with a few countries first to uh, allow for vaccinated travel both, both ways without SHN. And we will replace the SHN with a testing regime. As to when this will happen and which countries will uh, begin, where will, will allow this uh, vaccinated travel lane, as was mentioned, MOT is in discussions and they will be able to put out details in due course. So please wait for the MOT announcements. Yeah, maybe let me just add one a couple of points. Uh, as I explained just now in my uh, presentation. Singapore is actually considered a low-risk country by several regions, so including the United States and large parts of EU. So Singapore-based travellers can already go to these countries without quarantine or SHN. So it is really up to us if we are comfortable to reciprocate the arrangements and immediately you open up a travel lane. And so the onus is on us. And so we have to assess the risk level of some of these potential partner countries. Uh, MOT, of course, we have to discuss operational details such as recognition of vaccination certs, which they have been doing for many months now. So as Minister Lawrence Wong said, let's wait for MOT to make those announcements when they are ready. Thank you, Ministers. Can we have the next question from Cassandra from Yahoo? Cassandra, please. Hi, hello. Um, I'd just like to check. Um, have there been any cases of Delta Plus in Singapore uh, detected? Uh, thank you for the question, Cassandra. We've not uh, detected any uh, Delta Plus strain uh, in the phylogenetic uh, testing uh, done for all cases so far. Thank you, DMS. Can we have the next question from Shu En from Channel 8? Shu En, please. Hello, good evening, Ministers and DMS, Shuan from China. I just want to further clarify on the stages in our reopening strategy. So we understand the first one will be from 10 August and the second stage will be from 19 of August. If condition remains stable and under control, we'd like to check what is the condition that's being considered as stable and can allow us to proceed to the next stage because I guess some of the businesses or event, event organizers or even the wedding couples will need a clearer understanding on this timeline for planning purposes uh, because the restriction and the capacity limit uh, varies quite a lot for the two stages, but the, you know, it's only one, one week apart. Appreciate if we can also have a Chinese survive for this. Thank you. Can I explain the stages and then Minister Lawrence Wong can explain the, the event sizes which he touched on. Um, the second stage, which is the transition stage A, is not starting on the 19th August. So maybe let me uh, reiterate my statement, which is from 10th August, we will start the preparatory stage. Yeah. And in this stage, will probably last around a month until we expect early September, uh, when we reach 80% full vaccination or 80% of our population covered by two doses and provided situation remains stable, 
then we can move on to the transition stage A when we have further opening up. Uh, during this one month of preparatory stage, we are making two adjustments as presented by Minister Lawrence Wong. One will be from 10th of August and then another one probably will start around 19th of August, which was the original end point, first uh, end point of uh, phase 2 HA. Yeah. So as I had shared just now, 10th August, we make one move. Event sizes will be 500 for fully vaccinated persons. 19 August, we make the second move. Event sizes go up to 1,000. And all this is part of the preparatory stage. The next phase is going into transition when our population, when we reach about 80% of the population uh, completing their vaccination regime. And we think that might happen in early September. We haven't set out what the parameters are, but obviously at that time, we, when we entered, reached that target of vaccination coverage, we will consider even larger event sizes, larger wedding receptions, larger group sizes, and easing of border controls as well. So all that is premised on us achieving our 80% vaccine coverage for the entire population, and also ensuring that our overall pandemic situation remains under control. What does that mean? It means we want to monitor overall situation. There is no exponential, uncontrollable surge in cases that causes our healthcare system to be overwhelmed, or where we see a very large number of people hospitalized or in ICU. So we have set out those. These are the things we are looking for. Can we tell you now that this will never happen? Unfortunately, we can't. It's impossible. Right? So that's why we are taking this controlled step-by-step -step, um, way of reopening. Each step we make, we watch the situation, we monitor, and if things are under control, we do not end up with a situation where our healthcare system is overwhelmed, then we are prepared to take the next step. And I think if businesses, um, if people who are planning events, wedding couples understand this, then they can take all this into consideration. Yes, there will be some uncertainty, um, but hopefully they will you know, be able to take all this into consideration as they make their plans in the months ahead. I realize I owe you a Chinese soundbite. I've been trying to translate, but uh, I translate can't give me the right term, I'll try. Um, Woman现在已经达到我们的人口百分之大概百分之七十的新加坡人口已经接种了两剂疫苗，所以我们的这个抵抗力就是整个社会国家的抵抗力加强了很多，比上个月加强了很多。所以我们也开始筹备怎么样
呃嗯嗯项目的人数哦，嗯，也同时在这个预备期里，也会逐渐的能够跟其他国家开放，让旅游能够重复。然后，如果这个过渡时期整个病情在本地的病情稳定的话，一个月后。在大概九月初的时候，我们会有另一个就进入的第二期，我们叫做呃过渡过渡期 A， 过渡期 A， 过渡期 A 的时候，怎么什么时候会转去过渡期 A？ 就是第一，我们的人口百分之八十要接种两剂疫苗；第二，我们的病情情况还是要稳定，哦。呃，严重感有严重疾病的人数不可以呃大幅度的增加，整个医疗的设施不能够受到强大的压力。有这样的一个呃先决条件，我们就能够进入第二期。接下来我们要一步一步的走，摸着石头过河。每个时时期开放后，要认识到开放是有代价的。一开放过后，嗯，被感染的人数会增加，受到严重疾病的人数可能也会增加。我们也要有心理准备，呃，死亡人数也许也会增加。我们要非常慎重的观察，时机成熟，我们有把握才继续的开放，继续的进入下一期。所以摸着石头过河，呃，平衡我们的生计。平衡我们的安全。Let me also sound a word of a caution because、uh, there are still significant uncertainties、uh, going forward.、Uh, as we open up, we are doing our best to control to continue to、uh, control the epidemic situation here in Singapore. But as we know, the rest of the world,、uh, the number of cases are still continuing to grow、uh, from day to day. And there's also continuing to have this risk of a new variant that could、uh, happen and to, that could come into Singapore, and therefore we have to remain vigilant. And at the same time, we must also be prepared to continue to monitor the situation. As、uh, Minister Ong、uh, explained, we need to ensure that the,、uh, as even as the cases number of cases、uh, grow,、uh, we have to ensure that the serious number number of serious cases remain under control. That we are our hospital healthcare system. Uh, continue to be able to cope, and if we feel that、uh, assess that the, the healthcare system may be under threat, under under stress, we may then need to slow down the pace of our opening, and we may sometimes may even have to impose additional measures to give us time and space to allow our healthcare system to、uh, continue to be able to function effectively to prevent a, a, a sudden rise in terms of a serious number of number of serious cases as well as mortality. So I think we need to continue to be nimble, to、uh, remain vigilant, and to be prepared to make adjustments as we go along. Whether in terms of the pace of opening, or in sometimes we may need to reimpose some of the measures just to buy us time. So I think、uh, on that basis, then we can begin our journey、uh, towards a, a COVID-resilient nation. Thank you, ministers. Can we have the next question from Jinghui from Mothership? Jinghui, please. Hi, ministers.、Uh, hi, DMS.、Uh, I'm Jinghui from Mothership. So, 
Uh, it's great to hear that um, dining will soon resume for fully vaccinated individuals. So I just wanted to clarify, uh, if possible, like what kind of possible, what kind of evidence is needed actually for people to prove that they are fully vaccinated, or for injuries that they have to verify to check whether a person is fully vaccinated when going to the F and B premises. Yeah, if you could share more on that, please. Thank you. Sure, the vaccine status is re reflected in your Trace Together app or in your Health Hub. So all you need to do is bring your phone along when you go for dining. You can show the um, you know, person at the restaurant the vaccine status and then they will be able to verify that. There may be a few people where I mean, let's say you got your vaccine overseas and you, you know, then maybe in, in such very few instances, they may have hard copies rather than something that's already reflected in the Trace Together or the Health Hub. So in those few cases, the hard copy verification may be needed. But for the most part, everyone should be able to rely on their phones to get the vaccine status verified. Thank you, Minister. We will now take the last two questions. Next, we will have Philip from Bloomberg. Philip, please. Hello, good evening. Uh, I just wanted to ask about enforcement with the differentiated responses in terms of how you plan to execute that. What that'll, if you could explain what that would look like and what penalties and fines uh, any violators might be looking at. Thank you. Well, there will be enforcement checks uh, across, for example, the establishments and uh, places that require um, to verify uh, that are required to verify vaccination status so the agencies will check restaurants they will check gyms and fitness centers to make sure that the processes and systems are in place um, and they are systematic you know prop doing proper checks uh, of the customers as they come through these premises so that's one area of check that will be done uh, when we talk about um, the vaccinate or test regime that we are putting in place likewise the agencies will uh, will give a you know grace period up to the end of september so this will only kick in from first october and then eventually when it kicks in we will require people working in the identified settings if they are not vaccinated to be tested twice a week. And again, they will be checking to make sure that the unvaccinated persons are indeed um, subject to these uh, tests uh, twice a week. So the enforcement agencies, are, you know, they understand the requirements. They will start to systematically and comprehensively um, make sure that the entities that are required to put in place these requirements do so, and those that fail to do so or breach the rules, enforce, um, enforcement actions will be taken. Thank you, Minister. The final question comes from Justin from today. Justin, please. Hi, Minister. So, thanks for the briefing. Can I just clarify if all the vaccines that are cleared by WHO will be recognised fully under Singapore's National Vaccination Programme, including for the Vaccine Injury Financial Assistance Programme? Thank you. Answer to the first question is yes, as I have announced just now. Uh, and the reason being that now that we are more highly covered by vaccinations, 
and we have achieved a certain level of resiliency. The differentiation and the different effectiveness of vaccines uh, are less important. What's more important is whether you're vaccinated or not, and therefore we are taking a more uh, inclusive approach. So answer to your first question is yes. Answer to your first, second question on whether all these vaccines will then be covered by VFAP, answer is no. Um, VFAP, that means the Vaccine Injury Financial Assistance Program, is specifically tied to our national vaccination program. Yeah. And the two vaccines that's under our national vaccination programs are Pfizer, uh, Pfizer BioNTech, Comirnaty, and Moderna. So there is a differentiation between concession um, in terms of social uh, safe management measures and travel versus whether it's part of our national vaccination program and hence covered by VFAT.